1: the very first thought in our head is we're all gonna die you know this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me this is gonna be a catastrophe oh my goodness the sky is falling rather than saying Lord this is a tough place but I know you got this I know you got this I would have a whole lot less anxiety in my life if I thought of that first instead of like third, fourth, or fifth down the line. I'm glad that God in my life brings me around to those things. I just wish I would allow Him to do it a little bit quicker in my life.
0: What's the first thought that comes into your head when you find yourself in a difficult situation? Do you panic or immediately go to the worst-case scenario? How much anxiety and worry would you save yourself if you first turned to God for help? In Pastor David's message today, he encourages you that God will fight your battles. You need to only rely on Him. Whatever situation you find yourself in, God knows exactly what's going on. Today, trust in the Lord for strength and not yourself. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Exodus chapter 4 with today's edition of The Open Word.
1: God's not there. We're going to absolutely, utterly fail. We're going to see a little bit later. Moses knows for certain, Lord, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. We don't want to go. And so again, Moses does, he has a lot of different questions and he comes up with excuse and and a couple of different excuses of why he can't do the job, but he does submit to God's call in his life. And chapter 4, there's the whole idea of the, the rod that he has. He's he's questioning the Lord. Suppose they don't believe me or, or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord hasn't really appeared to you. What do I do with that? And God speaks to Moses and he said, what's that in your hand? And It's the shepherd's rod. There's a whole message on that. That that, that you have, that that God has equipped you with, that that God has empowered you with the tool, the the gifting that you might have even right now today? Are you willing to allow God to use you and use that, whatever it might be, for his glory? Or, as he's going to tell Moses, throw it down. Are you willing to throw that down, perhaps, in order that God might use you in a way that you're not comfortable with? That's different for you. Moses, by this time, he's a shepherd. Throw your rod down. I'm going to use you in a different way. Well, actually, he calls him to shepherd people. But just with that understanding of willing to throw it down, and God uses it in a special way. He uses it in a way that's totally different than what Moses had anticipated he would be. A simple shepherd staff, but now it's going to be surrendered to the Lord, and the Lord is going to use it in a mighty way. And so not only that, but he is also concerned uh, down in verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. (laughs) Don't send me to Pharaoh. I don't think well on my feet, Lord. And I especially don't speak well. See, excuse after excuse, we, we can all come up with them. We could probably go around the room tonight and find out how many excuses we can come up with of why we can't serve the Lord or why we can't be used by the Lord. Every one of us have them. You know when God is glorified is when even though we have very valid excuses, we're still willing vessels. Say, Lord... <laughs> If you want to use this chip, cracked, stained, broken piece of clay for your glory, I'll just be available. I don't know what you can do with me, but I'll be available. Moses had all these excuses. God met him on every one. says, I'm still going to use you, but I'm going to use Aaron, your brother, as your spokesman for this. But I need you to go, Moses. And so as they went, the message that Moses and Aaron had to Pharaoh we find in chapter 5, verse 1, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh says, If you're talking about the God of Israel, certainly, you guys go ahead. I'll, I'll be right here when you get back. No, that's not what he said. Matter of fact, he said... Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. You have to understand that Pharaoh was a god himself. As a matter of fact, over Egypt he was the head god. He was he was he was a big guy. He was the main one. And he's not going to bow and he's not going to obey any other god at all. Who is your God? And beyond Pharaoh, they had a whole pantheon of of gods and of different ones. And when we look even at the plagues that are going to come on Egypt, some have said that those plagues almost one by one can match different Egyptian gods. And that's why God used those particular plagues. Well, I don't know. I think you could blow a hole in some of that theory. But the fact is, is there were so many gods within the Egyptian uh, uh, understanding, their, their, their cultic religion, that they didn't fear this God of Israel. Pharaoh's heart has become not only hardened against the God of Israel, but also against Moses and everything else, and yet God is still going to work and move, doesn't matter how hard his heart is. Again, Moses comes to him and says, listen, uh, you need to let my people go. And again, Pharaoh, again coming against him, the Lord allows He and Aaron again to uh, display the power of God. Pharaoh's magicians come up; they try and match those things. Uh, when Mo- when Aaron throws the rod down, it becomes a snake. Uh, when the magicians do theirs, theirs become a snake, and then Moses's rod eats up their snake. So again, God being more powerful than the Egyptian snake. But Pharaoh's heart is still hardened and over and over, even to the point there in chapter 7, the first plague, the plague of blood uh, that the river Nile turned blood red or turned to blood. And again, everything starts dying in there. And Pharaoh tries to get his magicians to do that. And again, his heart gets harder and harder and harder And from chapter 7 on through chapter 12, we find these 10 plagues that again came against Pharaoh and against the Egyptians because of the hardness of his heart. Could Pharaoh have turned at any point during that time? I believe he could have. But the likelihood of it, unfortunately, was that Pharaoh's heart was already hardened. And every time he didn't turn, his heart, I believe, just got harder and harder and harder until finally it was a sealed deal. We went through the, again, the, the, the river turning to blood, the, uh, the plagues of the frogs, the lice or the gnats that came, the swarms of the flies that came, the diseased livestock, the, the boils on both man and, and beasts, the, the hailstorms. It's interesting. These plagues did not attack the, the people of Israel living there in the area where they were, but it attacked all the rest of Egypt. The locusts, the, the three days of darkness, and again, not impacting the people of Israel, but definitely impacting the, the Egyptians at that point in time. Until finally, through the, the, the hardness and the, the just the, the stand that Pharaoh had, that tenth plague was going to come. In chapter 12, God is warning the people of Israel, this is going to take place. I'm going to send my angel of death over the land of Egypt. You need to take that lamb. You need to prepare that lamb. You need to prepare that meal. You need to prepare your home. Take out all of the leaven. Remove all of these things. And in the midst of preparing your home, you need to prepare your life because God is going to deliver you from the bondage of Pharaoh and the bondage of Egypt. And so there in chapter 12 is the beginning of the institution of the Passover meal. There's a lot that we could look at there. Uh, We spoke some uh, earlier this year on Passover as we were dealing with it in the New Testament. So I'm not going to deal with it much tonight other than the fact that God had warned his people that when you slay that lamb to take, the blood from that lamb and put it on the two side posts and on the lintel on the top of the the door. And when I see that blood, the death angel will pass over at that point in time. And again, it was at that point in time that death angel came in. And in chapter 12, verse 29, it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all of his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, rise, get out from among my people both you and the children of Israel, and go and serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks, take your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. Well, we find out that as they left that night, God didn't lead them in the most direct route going up to the land of Canaan. God led them actually on a southern route around the Sinai Peninsula. We read in chapter 13, down in verse uh, 17 and 18, that again, as as they traveled there, it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although it was near, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. It, this this mass of people, children, women, old, young, the, their livestock, everything with them going and leaving Egypt. And again, God's uh, understood the heart of man that though they were escaping this, if they went that northern route along the Mediterranean Sea route right along the coast, he said that would be way too easy for them to turn back and, and go back to Egypt when things got tough. Plus, there would have been outposts and Egyptian soldiers along the way. And again, it would have been just a whole different scene. God led them on a southerly route at that point in time. And then they get to the point where, again, they're they're, they're faced there at the Red Sea. And I know that there's a lot of study, a lot of debate on, well, was it the Red Sea or the Reed Sea? Was it the Red Sea that was very deep? Or was it the Reed Sea that, that was only a few inches deep? And, of course, the great question or the great response to that is that if it was a reed sea and only just a few inches deep, then that was a really great miracle because God drowned all of Pharaoh and all of his horses and his chariots and everything in, you know, 12 inches of water. But when you look at it going through the Red Sea, and and I've seen a lot of studies that there is like a, 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 not a coral reef, but almost an underwater land bridge there that, again, would have been easier However God did it, the one thing I do know is God did it. God did a miracle. He is the creator of all things, and he can, again, stop up the water, push it back whatever way that he wants. They came to the edge of the desert and the Red Sea. Talking about being between a rock and a, a hard spot, here they are. The Pharaoh's army is coming down upon them from Egypt the Red Sea before them. And so the people in a great abundance of faith started saying, hey, let's just go ahead forward. God will do something. No, the people started whining and complaining. And again, they they were not ready to see the hand of God. Guys, for, for me, I'll save me first, and then I'm gonna throw all of us in the same boat together. How many times do we get into situations that come into our lives. And the very first thought in our head is, we're all gonna die. You know, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. This is gonna be a catastrophe. Oh my goodness, the sky is falling. Rather than saying, Lord, this is a tough place. But I know you got this. I know you got this. I would have a whole lot less anxiety in my life if I thought of that first, instead of like third, fourth, or fifth down the line. I'm glad that God in my life brings me around to those things. I just wish I would allow him to do it a little bit quicker in my life. Again, they came to a point of difficulty. There's absolutely no doubt about it. They were there. The enemy was pressing down upon them. We read in chapter 14, down in verses 13-13 through 14. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. You got scripture memory verses, gang? Add chapter 14, verse 13 and 14 to your scripture memory verses. Put your name in the midst of that. David, you need to stand still. You need to see the salvation of the Lord. Because David, the Lord will fight this battle for you. You just simply need to hold your peace and watch him. In all of the battles that you and I fight daily in our personal lives, our spiritual lives, our family lives, financially, um, health-wise, relationship-wise, God is not ignorant of any of these things. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And rather he does that through a read-see experience of 12 inches of water doing the, the supernatural or rather, he does that through a Red Sea experience of taking the absolutely impossibility of splitting a sea in half, bringing a wind through there to dry the land out so that these millions of people could cross in one evening. Beloved, how big is your God? We kind of get back to that when we are looking at Genesis. How big is your God? I want to tell you today, that our God is more than big enough, is more than able to do that. God opened it up. Again, we see, uh, and I think I've got a a double slide here, but I'll skip right by that one. There we go. They made it over to the Sinai and the wilderness. They're going along. After after the battle, uh, after they cross, Pharaoh's army gets all drowned. Chapter 15 is... The the song of Moses. We won't go through that, but now they're now they're there. They're they're in the wilderness. the The army of Pharaoh had, had perished, and now they start complaining because we don't have enough food. They had brought food over. They had seen God take care of Pharaoh's army, and now they begin complaining about what food they do or do not have. Look with me if you would at verse three of chapter sixteen. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we would have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. We sat by pots of meat. We ate bread to the full. And now you brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. These guys were slaves. I don't think they had pots full. I don't think that they were eating bread to their fill. But you know what? That's just like the enemy. He brings us to thinking that what we had before was better than what God is doing now in our lives. You see, we don't remember what it was before very clearly. But the enemy will spark our memory to the very things that draw us away from fully trusting God in this hour and at this time. Yeah. You know, we don't have what we had before, and guys, for them, they, they should have been very glad if they didn't have what they had before. But God provided for them; He provided for them supernaturally. These little bitty white wafers in the in the ground, and again, I have on there. What is it? Well, it's God's fast food. It's called manna. The translation of manna is "What is it?" So. Uh, What is it I'm eating? Well, that's it. That's what you're eating. What? What is it? That's what I ask. You know, you get to the whole, you know, who's on first thing. (laughs) What is it? It's manna. God has provided for it. And they would take and and crush it, and they would use it uh, again like flour, and it was a sweet-tasting thing. God provided it for them. God took care of them. And then a little bit later, because they weren't satisfied with just the manna, God gave them quail to eat. So now you had. Plenty of quail and plenty of manna. Just trust the Lord and I will supply. I will take care of it. Yeah, but Lord, we're now running out of water. And in chapter 17, we get the whole deal as they're now wandering. And and this never ceases to amaze me. It is called the wilderness of sin. The wilderness of sin that they are in. That's the area. That's the place that they're at. That's what it's called the wilderness of sin, and in the midst of that, they began complaining again, because there was no water for the people to drink, and the big question that they had, looked down in verse three. The people thirsted there for water. The people complained against Moses. Again, why is it that you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our lives? Well, we just heard that about the food just a little bit ago. Moses cried out to the Lord, "Why? what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, go on before the people. Take with you some of the elders of the land. Take in your hand your rod which you, which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock. Water shall come out of it, and the people may drink. Moses did it in the sight of the elders. They called the name of the place Massah and Meribah. Because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Water from the rock. God provided water from the rock. We find out in the New Testament literally that 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 rock was, was Jesus giving life, giving water for them. We need to fast forward real quick in, in the midst of all of this, as they're still going through the wilderness. They they find they they get into a battle with the Amalekites. The Lord gives them victory. But I love the way that the victory is given. As long as Moses has his hands up in the air, they're getting the victory. But two had to come and help him. Joshua saw that as Moses had his hands in the air, they were getting the victory. And so we find out that in verse 10, the second part of verse 10, that Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the mountain. And so it was when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so that they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down. And then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, so Joshua defeated the Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. There's so much that could be said about that whole incident.
0: noticed a theme weaving its way through Pastor David's messages and really through the Bible? That theme is salvation. It's Jesus. From the very beginning, God planned for His Son to come save the world from its sins. You find this plan ingrained in His Word, in the lives of the key people of Scripture, and in the words of truth each book provides. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Through the Bible, we pray you're finding Jesus not just in the text, but in your everyday life, too. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you'll be able to listen online at TheOpenWord.com. There's several messages there, in fact, and many of them go even more in-depth through a verse-by-verse study of each individual book of God's Word. That website, again, is TheOpenWord.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener.
1: Yeah, thanks, Chris. I wanted to take a moment and ask you to be praying for the ministry of The Open Word. I know God is working through the messages I've been able to share and He's opening hearts to His love every step of the way. As Chris was saying, this book I'm teaching from is just filled with grace and I want everyone to know about it. Would you pray that more and more people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus? Would you pray too for all of us who are creating the Open Word program? We want to keep focused on Jesus, not on us. Thanks so much for praying. And thanks for joining me today on The Open Word.
0: Make us